Hey, what's up you guys? You've checked in to another broadcast from Burb Moto. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to all these episodes and giving us feedback on social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter. You can follow us at Verb Pod Network and check us out, give us some feedback, and let us know who you'd like to hear from. Like I said before on a few other episodes, we're still waiting on a new name for this thing. So if you have some suggestions as to what this particular show should be called on the Verb Pod Network, let me know. Let us hear you on social media if you want to give this thing a name or maybe it's just going to be the No Name Podcast and we'll just roll with it like that. That would be a very verb thing to do, but let us know what you think. All right, guys, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Verb Moto Broadcast. This show does not have a name for it yet. My editor, Chase, does not like the Big MX Radio Podcast, although that's my podcast and it's actually named after me. My initials are B.I.G., but uh, he'd like me to come up with a new name for it. So if you're listening to this right now and you don't like the name Big MX Radio, maybe you do like the, the name Big MX Radio and you want to get on Twitter and yell at, uh, at Slaw Dog or Troy Dog or whoever at, at Verb uh, to get a name for this thing, uh, make sure that happens. Um, but otherwise, it's the Big MX Radio broadcast here on Verb Moto. Uh, I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, with me. Not so much in studio on the other side of North America in his beautiful office over at Canvas MX. It's none other than Michael Lieb, the, the number 170 in your program. He's been that his entire life. And now he's the CEO and uh, yeah, founder of Canvas. How's it going, Lieb? It's going good, man. Yeah. Uh, a lot, lots changed, lots going on, and just uh, another day. Dude, that, that's that's kind of business as usual for you, though. Like you, you've been burning the candle at both ends for as long as I've known you. You've been a repeat offender on the Big MX Radio podcast at least four or five times throughout the years. Uh, sometimes as a full time racer, sometimes as a full time entrepreneur. That's more of where where you're at right now. But Lord knows you still like to th- swing a leg over a dirt bike every now and then. Uh, what's new and exciting with Michael Lee these days? Uh, Canvas man uh, seems like every year uh, there's a few more guys in the pros wearing it, and I see some people at the track wearing it as well. I don't know where to start. It's been a it's been a super long road. I think the the last year has been matter of fact, like last week I think was the last uh, officially the first year that we've had Lucid USA. Um, Lucid USA, we built our own manufacturing facility because. I, about a year and a half ago, I got to a point actually where I was going to kill Canvas. Um, really? Walk away from it and be done with it. We were we were outsourcing our product for like three or four years domestically, and we just couldn't get it to where I was happy with it to really start to push the brand. So um, we can dive into how loose it started and all that. But um, we're now fully manufacturing Canvas in-house, 100%. Um, all USA made. We do the start to finish from the computer to the track. Um it's essentially like motocross graphics, but with gear, um, same process, a lot of the similar organization of how it all happens. And, um, we're also manufacturing gear for other gear brands and other people that actually want to make product in USA. We're, we're kind of paving the way in a, in a lot of different directions with, with Lucid and Canvas. Okay. So before we get to how you were able to launch Lucid and how that the linchpin of what it was able to become that be successful, Uh, Let's spin the clocks back to what I would imagine was probably a frustrating time period for you as a, as a, as a professional, Uh, you as well as I know, it's almost an annual thing uh, for privateers. If they're on doing their own program, trying to figure out a way 
where they can um, like get some gear sponsors, get this, especially if they're doing their own program, like kind of mm-hmm. align everything. And a lot of times there's not a lot of meat on the bone as far as actual support there. You might get uh, like more on the, on the product side or more, you don't get as much on the product side, but you actually get some money out of the deal. They're all different. Um, but you had a completely different approach. One particular year, it sh- started out as basically all white gear. Uh, it got some logos later on as you were able to sell some ad space on the, on that gear. Uh, but that was sort of the genesis of what became Canvas and, uh, and and putting all that all together. You're on Hondas. I want to say it was back in 2015. Yeah, it was 2015. So 2014, I did pretty well. I think I can't remember if that was the year I ended up like 10th or 11th in points in West Coast. Um, yeah. Still even missed a round or two. And the conversation came up that I was getting paid like I think it was 20000 that I got paid from a gear company in 2014. And the next year they offered me 1500 bucks, and I performed well and felt like, dang, like that's a pretty big pay cut, right? 95% right off the top. Um, we're spending $100,000 to go raise our West Coast program with my mom and dad by ourselves at that point. And it was, you know, I think we were sitting in the backyard. I've told the story a million times, but we're sitting there watching NASCAR on TV and you see Lowe's, M&M and Home Depot, and you don't see Simpson and Alpine Star make all the suits for NASCAR. So it's not a, a new model. That's not a new concept. We just took a page out of what else, you know, what's working in every other industry and tried to apply it to our own. And at that point, there was never an intention to start a gear company, to be a gear brand, to be anything involved in the moto industry, anything more than my mom and dad were my mom being on track school. And my dad at the time was rocket exhaust. And at that point, we just sold title sponsorship stuff. I think we raised like $30,000 between the first three rounds and then everything came crashing down on me in Oakland at round four and had a, I, I kind of call it a career ending injury to a certain extent. Yeah, that was altering for you. Um, for those who don't know, Michael, you were uh, as hot shot as it comes when it comes for amateur guys coming out of California. Uh, well, very well documented, especially with some of the publications out that way. And we're going to get to some of that later on in the show. Uh, but you'd mentioned just sort of like at like almost a year ago or maybe a little bit more than a year ago, wanting to sort of step away from cannabis altogether. Uh, like if it wasn't working or this, that, and other thing, what was the linchpin that said, like we can dive straight back into this. We can actually elevate from where we're at right now. And that's uh, eventually coming together with Lucid or creating it. It wasn't that Canvas wasn't moving. Like the, the frustrating thing was that the demand was there. People were purchasing the product. We had good sales and we weren't really pushing anything as far as promotion goes. We weren't sponsoring teams. We weren't really sponsoring a lot of riders. So everything that we had done up until 2015 was all kind of organic growth. And the organic growth really just kept kind of going. But the problem was, is the people that I was outsourcing to domestically in Southern California, you can make jerseys, making pants is a different animal. No one makes pants here. It's, it's, they don't understand the industry. They're too slow. They're going to charge you too much money. It doesn't make sense. So I had no control over taking our product to something that I think that it needs to be for our industry standard at the least. And that was the frustrating part. It was more so that I just couldn't figure it out. I could not get the product to be something that I really needed it to be to move forward. And that's where I kind of looked at my wife and said, like, I, to a certain extent, as great as this is, I think we're going to have to kill it or team up with, um, it's funny when I, when I crashed in Oakland in 2015, I got reached out to by a company called radical from Argentina and they offered to make me all black and all white gear. And that carried into 
us coming full circle and they're my partners here now with lucid and the reason that they're my partners are they've made gear for 15 to 20 years i'm not necessarily like i couldn't tell you each step of the sewing and each you know step of everything in particular so i needed a team of people behind me and ryan villapoto is also involved in lucid um we kind of all created this team together to to really grow and expand absolutely and of course ryan villapoto being your brother-in-law um yes. Yeah, so there's a connection a connection there and, and a good one at that. Um, and Radical is actually something that sort of came in uh, to sort of the, the public eye as far as North America is considered when you did the uh, Racetrack Supercross IB Corp Yamaha team. They were Radical. We're going to get to, we're going to talk about that later on in, when we get to some photos. Um, that was an interesting year, but that was the first time that that sort of that brand, that manufacturing process um or that the supplier really became sort of um not like common knowledge to those over in north america um and, and something that eventually blossomed into what we have now yeah no exactly radical has been i mean they're family to me they're they're super cool and the, the ib corp experience was very interesting um but yeah i mean there's uh there's been a lot of places that have been in the world i've met a lot of amazing people and it's cool because especially when you're racing, you don't know what's going to be your next step and where you're going to go after the fact. But there's so many people that I've met throughout different countries that have played such an important role in the next in the next pages and chapters of my life that have been unfolding. And it's it's cool to look back on. And I'm super blessed to have been able to do all the things that I've been able to go do and, and go see. Certainly. So let, let's talk a little bit more about the, the manufacturing process and just working with Canvas. Like, I, like one of the things I love about like being able to possibly work with Canvas, like just as a, as a consumer, is the fact that you, there's dealerships where you can walk straight in, not totally unlike those uh, those video game consoles at the like uh, um, uh, Best Buy or whatever. We used to spend all kinds of time on those. You can just go in design your stuff and like, can you, can you purchase it straight through that, that kiosk or how does it work? So the kiosk is essentially an eight, oh, sorry, it's not eight feet. It's like a six foot tall iPhone and yeah. it's just, it grabs your attention, right? Like you're sitting in this dealer and I don't know if your kid's walking around or whatever, and he wants to go touch something and, and play with something like that and kind of create his own gear, but you can design your own gear. You can purchase it. It's a massive iPhone. You can purchase from your mobile. You can purchase from anything. We have a 3d design integrative tool in our website where you can adjust color upload your logos upload whatever you want and um and yeah you could purchase it straight from the dealer's score that's super cool and what we're, the other thing that i love about that whole deal is that dealers themselves very much like uh, i'm big i was big into the the mountain bike world and even the the, the road cycling world is so many shops like they have their own jerseys like you know yep. what shop you run because everyone at that shop like they all run like uh, for like, it's Olympia here or there's Gourds or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and you almost feel like you're part of an exclusive club and and teams and uh, dealerships can sort of um, like use that to sort of market themselves and like also just sort of fly the flag and let everybody know just how many people are purchasing their stuff within a certain area. Um, I got to imagine like uh, you've been working with Let's Ride a little bit and stuff like that. I, I, I imagine that uh, later down the road, we're going to see some like motorsport Hillsborough, Hillsborough and stuff like that coming down the, the way, uh, maybe even uh, a chaparral down the way. I think that's been, and not that you're asking the question, but like, I think that's the hardest thing for me with canvases. I raced dirt bikes my whole life and I'm learning and, and learning quickly on all the different ways that canvas can be integrated throughout different um, industries and in different ways. 
you can have shops order custom gear. I can now offer dealer gear, right? So like I have a big pitch, like including the dealer kiosk, what we also offer for dealers is by the way, they get 40% margin on anything purchased at the dealer. And you're involving a dealer on e-commerce inside their inside their store, right? So something that they would never be able to be a part of, we've now integrated that through ViewSonic, which is awesome. And they're partners of ours too. Um, but the other cool thing is dealers are selling the same exact product to the same exact people from the same exact dealers nationwide. Everyone's selling the same thing. Dealers complain that online wholesalers buy so much product that they get better pricing. And when they need to blow their product out, they're often able to sell it for cheaper than dealers are able to buy it. So we can go to a, a let's ride or ride now uh, mountain motorsports and we can make them specific gear, whether it be UTV jerseys or just ride now gear, for example. And they're the only one that's selling that, right? So now they're not competing with someone online. They're building a product that's made in USA that promotes their brand rather than, you know, doing the same thing that they've been doing for 52 years. We're integrating something different for our sport and offering a different product than anyone else is. Certainly. And I, I see some different applications as well. And say for like, for like a manufacturer like Kawasaki, they've got the team green program, but a lot of those kids, some of them are on fly, some of them are on Fox, some of them are on Thor, doesn't matter. Um, but I could totally see a time. And it's funny because you'd almost be spinning the clocks back to when jerseys right. you wore your Kawasaki, like, like yeah. let's roll in as team green. You're going to run the, the like, if we're, you're a team green athlete, you're going to ride basically like Kawasaki branded gear. Uh, and you'd have some like some sponsors on there as well. Like it's almost like going back to where it all started, but uh, doing it maybe a little bit more fashionably as well as uh, just coming in with that unified look. Honestly, I always loved that that sort of stuff from back in like my dad, all my dad's old racing jerseys from the 70s. They're all Suzuki jerseys, they're sublimated and stuff like that. Uh, that stuff was always super cool to me. Uh, it'd be cool to see some of that stuff sort of come back or even like some of the amateur teams that you used to see like with the Rockstar guys or whatever else. Um, those are really cool opportunities that are of thing for things that may end up sort of coming back and allowing companies to sort of think outside the box a little bit more uh, than they have in the in the past. Because yeah, like you're right, um, like motocross is so different from other uh, from other sports, whether it's stick and ball or even other extreme sports, where like you watch like throughout the 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 eighties, the nineties, and the two thousands, like if you watch pro pro racing the the gear is it's it's featured like almost very predominantly is like you if you want to if you want to look like a factory racer you got to have this look you got to have one of those big four brands or whatever it is have that big logo out front and styling um and um yeah it's just 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 the way it is and we've almost been stuck in that rut a little bit uh as far as marketing goes yeah i mean it, it's all i think it's all changing and i i don't know where gear like where does gear have left to go you know how many different designs can a, a gear company come up with over the course of 10, 20, 30 years. And it's funny, like you said, like the, the old Yamaha, Suzuki, Honda, Cowie gear, like that's what it was. It was just green with a white line and, you know, pretty simple, but it did say Cowie and a team green applicant. There, there's, like I said, the, the most difficult part for me with Canvas is number one, we're a gear brand. Number two, we offer anyone to make anything online that they want, which is good and bad. And we can now offer dealers to have, their own product. We can have different companies offer their own product. We can essentially bring any company on as a as their own gear brand, private labeled, within four weeks, made in USA, product in hand. So, where where does the limit go with that? And ultimately, at a certain amount of quantity, whether it be two or three hundred units, 
we're not that far off Asia and Asia is still going to be your eight to 15 month timeline. So I think it's a matter of time before things catch on. I think that there's a matter of time before, you know, we continue to really have this growth. I think where people really take us seriously, I, in my opinion, we're one year into really pushing this brand and we've accomplished a lot in the last year. It's been really cool. It's been an amazing journey. It's been so stressful. It's been absolutely wild. I've never had employees. I've got 11 employees. We've got 5,000 square foot of warehouse. We've got machinery. We, I, I'm, you know, it, we're just making it happen. I love it, man. It's good, good to hear. And a lot of that hard work um, has is finally really starting to pay off. We're, we're coming up on on 10 years of your the sort of the genesis of what this has sort of evolved to. And actually, I. I can kind of relate to that and the fact that I started Big MX Radio back in 2014. It took me 950 podcasts, uh, <laughs> a, a ton of, and then finally you know, for, <laughs> yeah, for the, like swinging the axe for damn near 10 years before Verb Moto was like, yeah, you're actually good at that. So we're going to make you do that for us. And, and then also a bunch of other things that I, I do for, for Verb nowadays. Um, like it's you, like, you got to pound the pavement uh, for quite some time before, uh, things might pay off for you. And it certainly has for you guys. Um, the funny thing, like one of the things that I see the, 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 the motocross gear world sort of, and I've already sort of seen it started to slide that way is that like once upon a time, uh, late eighties, early two thousands, like, uh, say like a, a brand, like one of the, the leading brands, they would come out with this iconic uh, ad that would just like just blow the doors off of a company like I think of Fox with like a thinker pose with with uh, RJ or um, like there's a couple, there's a bunch of different ones like oh like the one that Fox did with um, with Henry with his scar along his back and stuff like that and that was in the time where like one set like there was there was like so say let's like, use Fox's example is 180 360 and an image series that's it. And that, that was, there were basically four colors the entire year and people would just gravitate to that and they'd wear them for the entire year, sometimes for multiple years. Whereas now I see, instead of having those iconic ads coming out, I see companies investing more in having limited edition stuff that basically just pulls people to the website or pulls people to their dealer and, and they're able to sort of like capitalize on just the, the increased interest by having those limited edition stuff as well as it sort of grabs the same sort of idea as like shoe brands have with having that limited edition thing that comes out like those, that gotta have it gear that like, it just, it like if you can create it more frequently, not only are you selling more units, uh, but you're just getting more people into more different, uh, like different styles of gear, as well as you have different things that might strike people different ways. You know what I mean? Some people might come out with an LE, 50% people hate it. The other 50% love it. They can't get enough of it. And then the next yeah. LE that comes out, it's just flipped. You know what I mean? But over those two sets of gear, you still grab 100% of people that might be interested in your stuff. So we created what we call our label series exactly on that basis. So our label series is something that I think we're on our sixth rendition of. So we're six or seven months in. So label series is what we put like all of our master pools, our AJE, our Morans, like all of our, our, our top elite guys. And because, yeah. okay, what is what is canvas like is canvas modern and racy like fox or is it you know gncc stuff kind of like moose or is it thor or what are we right like when you really break down what are we well we could be anything right yeah it could be anything but that you're like chameleon chameleon gear 
that makes it so much more difficult. So I wanted to create a series because, like I told you, people can go online and make the ugliest things in the world. And if they love them, they love them. Whatever, we're here for that. We offer that service. That's what we do. And we will make it. But from a brand side, that's not the best thing that you want out there really being portrayed as you know what people are seeing. So it kind of contradicts itself. So we created the label series, which drops on the first of every month. And we come out with a new colorway, a new design every month. It comes like four to five colorways, depending on what we can and can't nail down as far as what we like. If not, we just put it all up. And you get factory font. You get like really cool tagging with all your name and number stuff on the insides of the pants. Full factory. Like nobody does it like us. And it's all dye sublimated. But we just did our, like our, our fifth label series was RJ5 collab. We did it with Ricky Johnson. They're all full RJ'd out and RJ was involved in that. Um, you know, we've done vintage, we've done racy, we've done clean, we've done loud. We're thinking about maybe doing some urban stuff. Like we can kind of hit everybody with that, but it really showcases what we can do. And there's not a limit to what we can do. And for people out there that may want to come up with something that don't know how to design it, we offer design services. We have a professional design team in-house and we can help create that. Essentially, the best way for people to understand that is the way that motocross graphics transitioned from N-Style and Factory effects and God, it was probably like 06, 07 to like the Rivals and the Splits and the SKDAs and all those graphic companies now, it's essentially the same thing, right? It's just now on gear instead of graphics. And with that, people tend to kind of grasp a little bit more of the concept of the idea of what it is. Certainly. And you can sort of kind of like tap into people's creativity a little bit with that, especially when it comes to designing their own gear. But I really like the the whole label idea and the fact that like, say if there was like four different categories as far as when you have like woods and off-road guys who are like more of a vintage look, guys like want something a little bit more loud or or something like completely out there. You say, say you made four, four sets of gear in each one of those categories. That's 12 months of the year. Like your average person, just your average Joe, the people that I ride with on a regular basis, they might have two or three sets they ride with all year long. They're not like guys like yourself who are in basically different gear every time you swing a leg over a dirt bike. That's a luxury of the top end pros. That's it. Um, but there's a there's a good likeliness that if you make 12 different sets, you're going to hit hit the nail on the head at least two or three times with those people. Um, right. and people like stuff for different reasons. You know what I mean? Like some people like, like for me, I like it super, like I'm, I'm old school. I, I want clean lines, hard colors, yeah. this, that, and everything. And, and some stuff that's a little bit more out there, not my thing, but other people like gobble it up. Like I'll send a picture, like a picture of gear to a buddy of mine who I'm like, look at the ugliest gear in the entire world. And they're like, dude, I have that stuff. I wear it every day. And I'm like, okay then. Like that's, that's the beauty of, uh, of, of fashion, right? It's to each their own, but uh, it's really interesting that you're able to approach things like that. And almost kind of, like I said, sort of like inject that sort of like, gotta have it new style shoe deal that like people at the, like, I'm sure there's like Oakley or the, the Nike dunks that come out that some people mm -hmm. clamor to get, get all of them. And some people just, they can't be bothered. Right. Right. Exactly. We're, we're just trying to create that. Like Moto's five years behind anything, right? Like when you look at like when t-shirt and, apparel drop started happening it's been forever since that's happened right so like now our industry is all of a sudden kind of doing it it's just funny i mean it's obviously a lot harder to do that with gear in asia and and plan for it but there's also covid's brought this whole extra layer of having too much inventory and how can they move something new and fresh and be a little bit more current um 
which has been fun for us in a certain way because we can we can really take advantage of that. There's nothing stopping us because I can I can design something today, render it tomorrow, and launch it on Saturday, and off we go. Certainly, like the the power sports industry as a whole, uh, I feel like it's in a little bit of a flux right now in the fact that. During COVID, uh, there was a lot of stimulus dollars that came out. People, oh, uh, yes, that, of course, that would die then. Um, love <laughs> shittier video from there on. Um, that's fine. I, uh, like, shame on me for not uh, uh, charging my camera. That'll be great. Um, uh, this will all make the, the video too. But um, like, there was a lot of stimulus dollars. People had time. People had interest to go do things out, like outside. They go buy side by sides, this, that, and another thing. Um, but a lot of those things are cyclical. Not everyone buys a brand new bike every single year. Uh, a lot of people they get a little bit extra mileage out of their stuff, as well as unemployment is about as high as it's ever been in both Canada and the U.S. Um, so now I feel like there's not only our um, customers sort of pulling back a little bit as, as far as their spending. Uh, businesses are also acting on that. Is, is they're seeing the forecast that there's not going to be as many uh, sales being made. How is Canvas feeling that? Uh, how, and, and what's your viewpoint on just on like sort of the current flux of uh, the power sports industry? We're the worst person to ask because we awesome. really started. Yeah, we really started marketing and pushing in October. We've never had a team. We've never had you know top ten riders. We've never had a lot of that stuff that we've had this year that we paid and put a lot of money into, um, we're up 40% on last year. So we're, we're way up, but again, we've not really tried to make an impact in, in that direction until October last year. So we're super backwards, but being a gear manufacturer, we're obviously talking with a lot of gear companies and I always you know, it's something that maybe I don't understand, but I would love to be a fly on the wall when the meetings were had of like, hey, here's COVID. There was $3 trillion injected into the US market, maybe more. I had no idea. Do not quote me. And I don't want to hear about it if I'm wrong. But that's still a massive amount of money just put out there into the industry or into the economy in the USA, for example. And of course, people are going to spend a lot of money. That's a massive influx of money. So if your numbers in 20, say mid COVID, 21, say that you know your numbers were at 50 percent you're going to buy on that 50 percent not thinking that there's or not being able to assume that there's going to be stimulus the next year and that you're you just naturally grew your business 50 percent overnight when they have 30 40 50 years of data now everyone's sitting on way too much inventory because they overbought the crap out of things i'm sure there was a reason i would just love to know like how that decision really happened and how it was made because like obviously a lot of companies couldn't get anything so they didn't know they were going to get anything so they overbought hoping that they'd get whatever they would get just to try to make sure that they had something mm -hmm. and dude it's like man everyone's really stepped on their toes so obviously our industry right now i think as a whole is a little bit of a of a downturn how long that that lasts uh, who knows certainly well i think there's there's a, a few different reasons as to why that sort of uh, has reared its ugly head but just the way it is um i think like the the biggest thing out of this is that things are changing on the gear side of things. I I, the, I like the way you guys are changing the way people are thinking about gear, uh, giving opportunities for guys like Kevin Morans to to express themselves, like open up opportunities for different types of revenue um, and crowdfunding and stuff like that. It's it's really interesting and it's sort of uh, giving guys opportunities uh, that wouldn't otherwise be there. It's cool. Yeah, that's uh, definitely been cool, and it's been cool to work with those guys too. And 
allow them to do something different for once too. I, I know how expensive and difficult it is to go do what they're doing and it's a lot of work. So in five years from now, uh, Canvas and Lucid will be? Five years from now, I would expect that Lucid is probably 10 times the size that it is now. I hope Canvas is around 10 times the size that it is now. Um, you know, I, I want Canvas to be a strong player. And I think that we're starting to pave the way back to USA manufacturing. You know, the last time really gear was really made here was like answer and Cinesalo days with Eddie Cole. And it's been a long time since then. We're a long way from really being able to do a lot, but we can still make six to 7,000 jerseys a month and we can still make probably around 800 to a thousand pants a month. I mean, we can make gear in USA and we're paving the path to it. We can probably three to four times that within a year or two, I would think. Um, so I want to bring that business back here. And I think that it should be here. I think that we can do a lot more cool things as an industry, not just Canvas. I think for other gear brands can do a lot more exciting ventures and things that uh, I'd love to see in our sport. And I want to be a part of that. So I'd like to 10x everything that I'm involved in. I love it, my friend. Well, it sounds like you guys are on the path to do so. I think it's time for us to do the very first proper episode of Moto Albums. Uh, an idea of mine to go, it would be so cool to just go through a photo album with one of my favorite racers, you being one of them. Uh, you're essentially going to be episode one of Moto Albums here on YouTube. Um, for those who are watching, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to go through a slideshow of uh, some pictures that are kind of all smattered throughout uh, the career of one Michael Lieb. Some, uh, are, there's probably there's going to be some laughter, possibly some tears and everything else in, uh, that comes between. So uh, if, if fans were ever wanting to go through a photo album with Michael Lieb, they're about to. Sound good? Let's do it. All right. Let's share. I, my think, I think this is a cool idea. I, I think that like interviews as a whole are pretty stale yeah but i think i think like because like there is a lot of really cool things that you could talk about and did i going through photo albums and stuff like once in a while i'll sit down and i'll get just some old photos but there's things that you just don't remember that's exa exactly exactly and yeah so so anything that could sort of jog your memory that's exactly what we're gonna do so what's the, how do i get this to just be a slideshow uh full screen Go away. Yeah, there we go. Watch out. Um... All right. <clears throat> Michael E. Moto Albums. That was a transition that was put in there by, uh, by PowerPoint. All right. Right off the hop. Brother-in-law hunting you down. You're clearly roosting the crap out of him. Um, uh, one thing, I was, before you even say anything, one thing I've always, I loved about uh you as an athlete is that you always kind of you like most of the time you've you've stuck to one of the most important things i've ever noticed you stick to really good helmets that's a really good helmet the bell that you're wearing right there and you are also a, a showy guy almost your entire career uh get into that a little bit uh head protection very important my dad was uh he was always adamant about having a good helmet on your head and that's actually super funny that you recognize that because I would not wear helmets that I didn't believe in. Bell was obviously a major one of them, showy throughout the earlier part of my career. And now I'm a diehard 60 guy. Um, okay. I, I just don't believe in a bad helmet. I don't believe that it's worth the time, the energy. I've had a lot of head injuries too. And even being on the flip side of my career now, I, I, I think that there's areas where I feel that. And, you know, had I not done as good of a job, you know, how much worse would that have been? Who never knows, right? But 
can't mess with your head. Fair enough. So let's get into this photo a little bit. I'm, I'm sure at some point, like throughout the 2000, like even seeing Ryan growing up, like I, I don't know how much different you guys are in age, whether or not you raced each other uh, in uh, amateurs at all. I think you're quite, how many years younger than you are, Ryan? Four, which is funny. We actually have the same birthday. No way. Yeah. August 13th was the same birthday. That's funny. Um, so he's an 88, I believe. Uh, you're four years younger than him, so you're 92. Uh, wouldn't have probably crossed path. That might be three years. I'm 91. Okay. 91. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, either way, uh, you wouldn't have crossed paths too much on amateurs. Uh, you're both pretty fast in your own right. Um, but I, like you must have known about known known him for a long time or like been around him a fair bit. Uh, not at all knowing that he was going to become your brother-in-law. Um, what well, had that relationship kind of come together? I had a crush on a sister since she was like 13. So rightfully so. He, or, his yeah. sister's an absolute rocket. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there was that. But uh, yeah, we never really raced together. I was I was always stringing because like I don't know if it's the same way. I can't keep track of amateur stuff, but age group stuff. So like nine to 11, 12 to 13, and 14 through 16. I was always the little guy getting on a bigger bike, maybe a year mm-hmm. early, just because I was always so short. And I had a ton of injuries because of that. So we never raced as amateurs together, but our families have always been good friends. Um, our parents were super close, obviously are close now still with, um, with their mom, but, um, but yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and so what, what, where are we here and what, uh, uh, is, is he coming around to get you on a lap or, or are you actually leading the, the nine time, uh, AMA champion? So we were, sad story, we were, um, they had just lost their dad. I think this was in okay. 2019. And we were up at ORV, which Ryan is involved in. But I think that track, I don't know where that track's at at the moment. But um, we went up there and they wanted to do like a Memorial Day race. And at the time, like, I'm not really racing anymore. Like, I'm kind of just working and doing my thing. And I got a stock 250, so we threw it in the truck, and we're like, all right, let's go. And Ryan's like, yeah, I'm going to race. And I'm like, great, like, okay, let's go do this, I guess. So we get up there, and the first night, there was a two-day race weekend. So Friday, Ryan gets pretty hammered, and we're having fun, and we're hanging out by the fire. And then we, like, get up in the morning, and my dad signs me up for four classes. And they're, like, 15-minute motos, and I hadn't been riding. And I'm like, great, of course. So the last moto of the day is with Ryan, so that's my fourth race. And... I'm on a stock 250. He's on a stock 450. So I'm already like way down in power. And Ryan lines up on the inside of me. And I said, absolutely not. You're at least starting on the outside of me. So I moved over and I started on the inside of him. And these motos, I think they were like 15 minutes. And dude, we killed each other. Like I got the whole shot. I kept him behind me. I rode the widest track I've ever rode in my life. He just had a brand new uh ap design helmet painted with a mural of his dad on the back and mm. he didn't wear a chest protector in the front because like we're just hanging out like you know racing and drinking on the weekend you're just pelting him we freaking killed each other for 15 minutes and i beat him and then that was moto one and moto two was the next day and did, did he comes off the track and he takes his shirt off and like he's just ruined 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 right his helmet's all freaking rock pelted across the front and it was I got off track and did I had I don't think I'd ever been that vapored like we were both completely completely done right so Saturday next day get up again fourth mode of the day I am 
absolutely hammered. I'm completely done. And again, I, I got the whole shot and I led all of it to the last lap and with like a three quarter lap to go, I got a rear flat and he got around me. Oh. So yeah, I almost went one, one with the champ, but anyway, so since, since then I said no more, never doing that again. Like, dude, we were running it in on each other. We were hitting each other. We were cross jump. Like it was, it was a brawl. It was not fun. Well, that, that that's that it, it sounds a lot more fun than you're making than you than your your perception of it. But was, a great time, but we, we were trying to kill each other. <laughs> yeah, was this maybe the uh, the crux of of uh, Ryan wanting to get himself back in shape? And it was like you got beat by the brother, and I was like, that is it. No, I don't. I don't think it phased him. I don't think it phased him. No, Ryan. Ryan did what he did. He, he don't. He yeah. Care about the rest, but I mean. I don't know how hard he was really trying, but like you don't sit behind someone and come off the track bleeding and not care. Like no, you exactly. Don't be behind, especially your brother-in-law in front of all your family and stuff. Like you, you don't want that. Like no. I, to my point, I I didn't want him to beat me. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, it's cool to have the you and your your brother-in-law run the same. Uh, like he's running Canvas. Like that's just got it. Like when you first started Canvas, I I, I don't imagine that was something that you ever envisioned um uh, being a possibility so that's cool no no and yeah he's involved in both projects here too so it's cool it's um it's definitely fun learning business and also you know transitioning into that next page with him and he's got a lot of really good insight he's he's not a dummy so um he's not just somebody that can ride dirt bikes and doesn't know how to make anything else work he smart guy he's got good ideas what are what's his taste as far as gear goes? Like what like if 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 Ryan's designing gear, like is it like just as is it super clean? Is it wild? What what's his what's his go go to? We're talking about it a lot lately, actually. It's uh, I, I definitely think it's more on the clean and racy side, but like obviously everyone remembers the Volcom Thor kit and yep. some of that stuff. It's like we're gonna come out with an RV kit here in a few months probably, and we're really in the midst of starting to talk about where we'd go with that. And it's also cool to look back on even kids that I don't remember that, you know, he had that um, I think we kind of want to repurpose in some ways. So stay tuned on that one. Fair enough. I always just remember him wearing a lot of black, uh, but that's probably the cow. He did wear yeah. a lot of black, especially obviously pro circuit days, but that was team gear. Um, all right, let's get, let's, let's spin. Let's, this is where canvas sort of like, like the one, the one picture is sort of where we all got started, uh, but also an opportunity where you were able to ride. For, I believe that's for Puerto Rico. Uh, what are we looking at here? So the picture on the right of the, all the white gear, that was um, that was preseason. So that would have been like December of 2014 going into 2015. Um, and that's pretty much our poster shoot. Um, that was actually at RV's track in his backyard in Menifee that we were riding that quite a bit that year, which was rad. Um, but that's basically what we did. And we just slapped big heat transfer logos, of local companies, mom and pop shops, wherever venue we were racing that weekend. And that's what we went racing with. And yeah, it worked. We raised 30 grand in three weeks. Like it was sick. It was cool. One small wrinkle that's sort of included here is you're wearing, you got the deaf family hat. Uh, gloves are something that are about as difficult to hit the nail on the head as anything else. Um, when it comes to canvas, the gloves themselves are deaf family, correct? Correct. That's cool. I like, I like, yeah, I, like Nate, is Nate Adams still involved with that or what's the deal there? Yep. Yeah. So there, there's been a lot of transition, but Nate's fully involved. Um, he, and I talk very frequently, so he actually showed me some like 
all blank gloves that he was thinking about coming out with. And I'm like, dude, that's your move. Like, I think gloves now have become a harder space than they were back in 09 and 2010 when it kind of all started. Deft was like huge. They were massive on the map. And then he, he was like, what if we just came out with some blank colors? I'm like, dude, I would buy a ton of those. And I did. And we oh, just yeah. launched those I don't know, a month or two ago. And I was like, dude, this works perfect for us because I can't make gloves yet. Um, gloves are, if, if you're off of a tenth or even a quarter of an inch on a jersey, like you're really not going to know. You're off that much on a glove. That's the difference of you getting your finger or not getting your finger through the glove. So it's super marginal. And we got to, you know, we're going to perfect what we're doing before we take on that next project. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've been with Nate for probably 13 or 15 years now. Certainly he's come out with some cool designs as well. Um, how many times did you get to ride for, for Puerto Rico? Is this just the one, one and done or what was the deal? It was just the one and done. And as you can see, like my right foot, I'm not really standing on. Um, I think I started riding like a month before that and I was off the bike for 14 months. So between three weeks after the photo on the right, I broke my foot and I didn't walk for nine months. I didn't ride for 14 months. And then I believe that I only rode, I want to say four days before I went to Puerto Rico and rode at Arne in the French MX Jeep or MXM Nations. And that was for Puerto Rico. And yeah, I probably shouldn't have been there, but um, it was a cool experience. It was going back to the GP deal where you know, I'd obviously spent a lot of time and had a lot of friends at, so that was a cool experience. Um, obviously, I don't think we qualified. No, we did not qualify for the, the deal. I think uh, one of our teammates didn't jump a lot of jumps and happened to jump a red cross flag when we got DQ'd. So, fair enough. Well, that's yeah. uh, it was the story, right? The, the gear looks good. Can we just go with that? And you've also throughout the photos that I looked at, you've mastered the one hand on the bike standing next to pose. It's so funny, dude, because I hate when people take a photo of a pose with their hand on the, on the bike, and I, you found two photos huh. I'm doing. I always hated that. That's amazing. Uh, all right. So GP days. This is uh, this is actually pretty cool. Like I, I think uh, you had some success over there, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Worst, best, emotional, depressed, happy, all of the above. That uh, I mean... I moved over there by myself when I was 17 and that was really difficult. It was really, really hard. And the team that I was over there, we had a lot of bike issues the first two years on the first two teams. Um, yeah, I, there, there's so many Europe stories. The first two years to sum it up were I didn't feel like I had a lot of the equipment to really go and I guess do what I was there for. Um, in some ways where like in 2011 it was before ktm bought husky our race bike was 33 horsepower and that year factory ktm was 48. Holy i walked crap. in and i asked to ride the 125 at the mx2 class because the two the 125 was faster than our 250f and those were difficult years and very very hard to be over there by yourself away from your family alone with non-english speaking people majority um, don't get me wrong, like Jackie Vimon, 1986 world champion, him and his wife were, they're absolutely family to me. Stefan, the owner of Bud Racing and his brother who had passed, they were great to me. Larry or Richie with Husky the next year, they, they were all great to me. But um, in the end, we we struggled with a, a lot of equipment issues and I had issues myself too. I had a few crashes, 
I had a double impact syndrome. I hit my head twice within a week and it's off the bike there for three months, but I couldn't really fly home. So yeah. And then I, in 2011, I think I, I had multiple top tens through 2010 and 2011. That was, you know, top seven, top six, top eight. I was in there and I went seven, seven in Fermo, which was the last GP of 2011. And then I had left Europe in 2011, never going back. I was, I hated it. I was done. I hadn't really, you know, enjoyed much of it. I did find ways to enjoy myself. I did find ways to be extremely thankful for, you know, going to 40 different countries and speaking 20 languages by the time I was 21. Um, but when I went back there, I got a call after the first West Coast stint of Supercross that year after five rounds in. And Steve Dixon called and was like, hey, can you come over and replace Osborne? Jumped on the plane, went over there, rode the bike one day, and hadn't rode haven't hadn't rode outdoors in like seven months. And that bike was at three speed, so that was interesting. So like first and second gear were together, th third and fourth were together, and Holy second, crap. yeah, like fourth and fifth were third gear. So I get on the bike, the thing revved to like seventeen thousand RPM. It was retarded. The thing was unbelievable, and I. I remember Saturday, like free practice, time practice and quality race. I think I was like six, seven and the quality race, I think I was fourth or fifth. So like I was immediately pretty quick. And I remember on Sunday I woke up and I was so sore already. My hands were bloody. I was completely ruined. And first moto, I'm so used to being on the start and grabbing second gear, but that was really like starting in third or fourth, let the clutch out and go bull like this. Mm completely bogged right so boom drop first get across the finish line i think it was like 37 the first lap i'm just passing people i'm going i'm going i'm going 15 minutes in i look at the card and uh my mechanics holding up p3 and i go to the finish line i'm like i'm looking around like that's a typo or he messed that up or something and i come back 33 he meant 13 yeah i was like no he's like yeah p3 and i'm like dang okay but the GPs then were 35 plus two minutes. So I was way disadvantaged. So I was really, really tired even by the end of the first moto. Second right. moto, gate drops. Um, I think I come around the first turn in like third or fourth and I pass Van Horbeek, uh, Jake Nichols, a couple other guys. And same thing, like 10, 15 minutes in, I look at the board and it says plus 28 seconds. I'm out front. I'm gone. I'm like, there's no one even in my zip code. And I'm like, no way. So like the brain kind of starts turning a little bit and like, granted, I went there to really kind of stomp being done with Europe and just go there and say my piece and be done and try to leave there with something positive. And dude, like five minutes were left on the clock. We we're 30 minutes into this moto and I pulled a tear off and I blood smeared all the way across my goggles and I started looking at my hand. My hands were just completely ripped open. And I... I got passed and I went three, three for second overall, but I never rode the bike and I blew a 27 second lead. I called my dad. I was so happy after. And he was like, are you freaking kidding me? You just blew a 27 second lead. So that's like our inside joke, but yeah, Perfect. first American to blow a 27 second lead, I guess. So whatever. Hey, like making, making history one way or another. Uh, the fact that you like you spent so much time over there is, is pretty incredible. Um, at such a young age, uh, I, I imagine that you had some very very trying times, as well as some probably some fun times as well. Um, and 
like the de- dealing with issues with equipment that's very similar to what i've heard from a lot of other guys have gone over there uh if you don't have like that kind of like that absolute a level team uh it can be a, it can be a real struggle i've had some of the best times of my life there i've cried myself to sleep there a lot of nights too um it's not all been easy i look back and the places that i got to go and what i got to do by the time i was 21 is like people don't do that in a lifetime I have friends all around the world. I've built relationships that help me today um, that I've blossomed into. And there's a lot of great experiences. There's some that sometimes I'll look through photos like this and really remember. Um, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of feeling with with each each photo and memory from back in the day, no doubt. I love it, man. Uh, what do we got next here? Oh, this, this is Racetrack Supercross. Right now, somewhere... Is it Brad Barker is making some sort of video that no one's going to watch? Um, but these are on you. Like this is on YouTube. Uh, this was no, like, it's not, it's not, don't search it. Don't look it up. Don't go. It's on YouTube. Uh, you can watch all of them. Uh, the, 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 the amount of drama that they tried to build into this was epic. Um, and it's funny because it all came out like literally like a week before Anaheim won and like, 99% of everybody knew like who was already on the team. So they kept trying to like build up anticipation that really wasn't there. Uh, take me through, like, give me at least like a, like a 10,000 foot view of this particular year and possibly the conversation between you and one Blake Wharton that's happening right here. <clears throat> so racetrack supercross, I liked the idea. I think that there could be something cool there. Um, the way that it was done isn't the way that I would do it. Um, I liked what they came in to try to do. My problem with it was you had legitimate stories. You had legitimate stories between, I'm not going to say so much me, but Blake Wharton and Justin Haft and his family and his brother's situation and like real nitty gritty stuff. Right. And they came in and like, in my opinion, I, they just, they did it wrong. They did it wrong from, from the get-go of you had real things to talk about and you had real things that I think you would have really captivated people to, to want to watch and be a part of and, and involve themselves in. But the things that they tried to dramatize weren't in my opinion, the way that I would have. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like you already had some drama, like you already yeah, had, it's built into know, the sport. Blake Wharton and his history and what he's done in our sport and all kinds of things like, the people that were involved were great. The bikes were good. <clears throat> it was a lot of good. There just there didn't need to be the fakeness because if they really honed in on the stories that I think were at hand, I think that it would have done a lot better. That's that's what I how I feel about it. Yeah, they seem to be fascinated with like like kind of like trying to light a fire under Bobby Piazza's ass for some whatever reason. And they like they yeah. really they hung on that. Yeah, they they definitely did and. I mean, I don't know, like, I, I almost got kicked off the show. I almost got kicked off the show on, like, the third day. And I love that. Because, like, I'm not, I'm not there to be fake. Like, yeah. and all they're asking me to do is kind of things that aren't really me. So I'm not going to do that. Like, so I just kind of, like, stayed in the back up against the wall and just kind of was, like, one of these guys. And they're like, if you don't want to be here, you can leave. And I'm like, no, it's not that I don't want to be here. Like, I just, you're asking us to 
ride four or five days a week, which we don't do. You're asking us to train and do stupid, gnarly things. Like, dude, we cycled up that hill, Los Gatos. That hill will freaking kill you. And then get up in the morning and go freaking do like a race. And then you're- Hot yoga with with Rhino. Yeah, and then like you're asking us to (laughs) race on a practice track, which is one line, which like, dude, you got to kill somebody to pass somebody. Like literally, you got to kill somebody to pass somebody. So and yeah, and like people for that matter did. I remember Dylan Merriam was trying to kill me, and yeah, that's right. Just, yeah, it was whatever. So I, it was cool to be a part of. I'm thankful for the experience. I think if you're asking me what the 10,000 view out is, I think that there was a lot more there that they really could have hung on to that would have captivated people. When I wish they did. Yeah, no, I think uh, yeah, I think there there was a, a lot of things that they they could have done to to make this thing even even more uh, just sort of interesting. I think you're right. They just sort of they really keyed up on like the the drama of it and like uh, just like almost manufacturing drama where it really didn't need to be there. But, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, like, I, I, I did they... get to travel from from San Diego to Houston with mr brad barker in a in the motorhome and that was maybe that's a more interesting story than the whole fucking youtube series people would have probably wanted to watch that i mean there was probably some great conversation i can imagine <clears throat> oh yes the pre-supercross uh, party in vegas was amazing that's all i can say there <laughs> okay fair enough I, I i can vibe with that uh but the bikes look good though that was and that was like sort of like i wouldn't say the beginning of but like that's the emergence of twisted development a little bit like this is we're it, the bikes were great. Like we had KYB, yeah. Jamie, obviously everyone knows Twisted. Um, the, the bikes were good. The, the, the team within itself, and that's kind of why I did the show, was I was going to go do it myself. And then like it was essentially what I was going to race, but I could do it on someone else's dime. So I did. That's why yes. I did it. Excellent. I like it. Well, for those like, like uh, Michael, would a- I would ask you, you don't go watch it, but uh, it is available on YouTube, so go watch that uh, that series if you got some extra time. There's also another uh, reality show called The Reality of Speed, which is even more amazing. Uh, it's got David Villeman, um, and they're spray painting a, a back fender black so that you can run you can run it at any one. All right, next the ankle or the foot. Uh, this is what kept you off the bike for way too long, and in a lot of ways, it was sort of like a career altering perhaps career ending injury for you. Uh, you were never the same after that. Dude, I just had surgery on this thing in October again. Jesus. Yeah. And we're what? Eight years out. Wow. Yeah. So Oakland 2015, second time practice. I think I was third or fourth on the board, um, tripled into a rhythm. And it was one of those things where you sit into and you know what's wrong. And by the time that my front wheel got over the top of the second jump of what I was tripling, my seat was on my butt and my shoulders at the same time. And I remember I was like neck or feet and I stepped through. And as I stepped through the bike pushed me in the back and it got me further forward. And I landed on the fourth jump feet first. I knew I shattered my right foot. I broke my left foot and laid there. They're trying to take my boot off, told not to get up to the asterisk truck at that time. I'm still asterisk. And they're trying to take my boot off. I said, no, they get me to the hospital. I got like 12 people ripping my gear off me. And I looked at the doctor and I said, knock me out, take my boot off, do what you got to do. Wake me up when you're done. And luckily he did. I've never had ketamine. Um, I don't recommend it. I tripped out for like four hours. Oh, you go on the spaceship with that stuff, dude. Dude, 
So I was like Flintstone, Avatar, and Top Gun. And it was funny because like I went back for scans like two days later and I'm like, Purple Walls must have been Avatar. Oxygen Mask must have been Top Gun. I don't know where Flintstones came from, but whatever. So from there, I didn't ride until September. And then I did the Blue Buffalo deal the next year, which I hope you don't have photos of that. And you know then I, I rebroke my foot on practice at a one just casing a triple and i knew i'd done it and we still had kickstarters on dirt bikes back then like suzuki's and <laughs> i couldn't start my bike for like five rounds and i still managed to get a six a seventh a couple top tens and i told larry brooks i said i'm going and get an x-ray sure enough taylor navicular joint gone had to fuse my foot i decided to do it and i waited till after vegas and i, I couldn't even walk i should have been riding and um 14 months I didn't ride nine months on a knee scooter and that was that was like I had broke a lot of bones but that was like the first one that was like dude you can like that was that was bad that was that was the worst one and then fast forward through that it like it really was never the same um couldn't ride on the balls of my feet couldn't use my right leg I'd blow through my left bottom of my boot way before my right I'd always have to get like a new left boot um, learned to ride with it, did what I did with it. And then like, I think it was literally March of 22, I'm walking my dog and I'm laying on the concrete like two seconds later and I, I something just broke in my foot. So I ended up going to the doctor and they're like, yeah, you got a broken screw and you need to take it out and do the deal and whatever. So I end up starting lucid. So I didn't have time to go get surgery. So I was just kind of walking on it. And it already already hurt and it's kind of numb and like I can't feel super great down there anyway. So long story short, I had surgery in October of 22 and they were like, yeah, you should be good in eight weeks. And dude, two months rolls around. I'm not good. Three months rolls around. I'm not good. Four months rolls around. And I'm like, okay, yeah, a little better. Five months rolls around. And I'm like, holy crap, my foot's amazing. If my, my foot felt like it did now back in 18, maybe it would be a different story. I'd, I'd probably still be racing. Wow. That's incredible. And like, I don't know if they had Helen Keller do the stitches on this particular foot, but uh, you must have some pretty look, nice looking scars on that thing now. It's so everything from the heel to the front of the scar and now an inch past that from my ankle joint down is all one bone now. So my whole foot's fused. I got a club foot. So nice. I can still move my ankle up and down. I've got zero side to side but it's tolerable now back then it was it was bad it was really bad well the tap dancing world championships might be out but uh maybe a trip back to loretta's at some point i'm going this year for the first time since 09 i'll see you there first time since 09 i like it man uh well let's get this thing off of people's uh screens so they can move on to the oh there we go blue buffalo uh, I only imagine what's going through uh, Kyle Defoe's mind. Um, he had to attach those damn things and do the graphics on them. Uh, I think that's also where the two of you guys started working together. It might have actually been a little bit before that. Uh, but yeah, tell, take me through the, boob, the Blue Buffalo uh, Slater Skins Yamaha team. Um, yeah, you, you actually, you, you hit, I also just threw in Barn Bros just because uh, you were part of all those like kind of like... Uh, uh satellite yamaha teams of like the late 2010s of like 
all probably equally awesome and terrible in their own right. So, excuse me. Um, <laughs> Barn Pros, we're going to do a Barn Pros deal. I was always the guy and like my, I can't, I can't thank my dad enough for like always being sure that I had good equipment because we always did. But like mm. motor suspension was always key to me. And that was way before, um, you know, any of the other stuff really came into, in, into mind. But the Barn Pros deal, like it never actually happened. Like we took that photo and then we were going to do something for the next year. And I can't even, was that, what year would that have been? I think that's, I want to say that's the end of 17 into 18. Uh, because the following year on that team was champion. And I want to say, well, Italy. But I'm still wearing the deft hat from 15. Yeah. Maybe. I think that was somewhere in 16. That could have been 16. Yeah, you're right. It all those, but all those years blend together for me. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't. Yeah. So number 61, what year would I have been number 61? That's 15. So that had to be the tail end of that. Yeah, that had to been the tail end of fifteen. That had to be okay. Oh, damn it! Come back. Oh my god! Well, we're getting there. We're getting there. So, so then I end up. Um, Larry Brooks calls me, and he's putting together this team, and it's with these Slater Shields. And, um, anyway, I went that route because the motor and the suspension package were phenomenal, and Larry Brooks is Larry freaking Brooks. Um, yep. and Kyle started with me in 14. So this would have been our third year together. Um, funny enough in Oakland, the year that I got hurt, he actually chopped his finger off like that much of his finger. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Oakland's not good for Kyle and I, but, um, but yeah, the, the bike was phenomenal. The Slater shields were absolutely miserable. The, the, the handguard side of them were so floppy that every time you go in the whoops, they tap you on the fingers. It was the most annoying thing in the world, but the bike was good. The bike okay. was great. Yeah. That was the year. Yeah, that Enzo suspension on there. Yeah. So if you look at any photo from that year at the races and you look at a photo of me in the whoops, I'm on one leg. I do notice that about you on most photos. Your one foot is off almost all the time. My right foot's tucked up against the clutch cover all the time. Hmm. Yeah. Neat. It's like, just like a motocross career one footed. Uh, this is, that's one of the things I wanted. I've, I've, I've asked like guys like Dean and uh, like even guys like Weimer who dealt with a lot of injuries too, is there are a ton of racers who race their entire career. Like at absolute best, there may be like 90, 85% of what they could have been had they not had this injury, that injury. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's that's hard to say. Uh, my my foot was bad. I, Dean and Dean's obviously been through a lot. Jake, I remember having some injuries. Um, yeah, I mean, but like, I could still ride with one foot mostly. Like, that's also the other thing that's kind of messed up about it is, like, you could you could still do it. it just yeah, you had to, to level or you held back. I don't know. We'll never know. Fair enough. And at this time, you this is also when like uh, Canvas really started to get a little bit more notoriety. Um, this is as far as like uh, brand awareness. They were able you were able to do the the gear for the team. How did that work? 
So it was easy. Like Blue Buffalo was obviously the bigger sponsor that year. Um, we put them on the gear and we were at that point, we were still not doing pants. They were just custom jerseys with blank pants. Obviously there's nothing on the pant, um, which we just brought that back. Like that whole blackout, that all black set of gear. We just brought that back like two weeks ago and people do love just all black gear. So yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of like the evolution, the first evolution part where canvas started to get sublimated jerseys and we started to customize it was literally within that probably four or five months span of that photo. Um, so yeah, we were able to kind of use it then for blue Buffalo and, and they did love it. And I think they stayed in the sport for another year or two until they ended up getting out. Yes. All right. Let's spin the clocks way back. Let's go mini days. Now the, the picture on the far, the far like you're not actually a lot taller today than you were in that photo. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, tell me, like, yeah, you're doing some testing on some uh, KTM 65, like maybe a back to back test. And you had some ripper, uh, like, 65s, dude. Dude, our bikes were sick. My dad always had me good bikes. He always had me good bikes. Um, so, yeah, on the far right, I was a test rider. I hope I don't mess this up for Dirt Bike Magazine. Um, yes, that's with Dirt Ron Bike. Lawson and, yep, and all the guys. So, we we'd always done that and yeah i think that was like the first time that i ever rode a, a 65 i remember that photo shoot like i, I still vividly remember that and then the middle shoot serious. is cool because that's yeah that's 2003 that was my first ever championship shoot second championship i won world minis is that vegas that year with yeah that's world minis yeah yeah that's world minis and landon courier and i who are still best buddies um we battled each other pretty hard. I ended up winning that 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 race. But dude, look at how high up my front brake and my clutch levers are. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah, no like, kidding. That was real. Yeah, that was real. And I, I did Shay Bentley I set those for you, <laughs> dude? And my dad, I always tell my dad he's such an idiot. I had the biggest ape hangers on my freaking sixty-five, and then like you fast forward, I well maybe not fast forward. It was probably around the same era. Like that was kind of around the Carmichael bend. When like yeah. the bars were on the gas tank. Yeah. Um, you look so, like yeah, Pastrana they're... in this photo. What are those like ATV bars? Dude, they're ape hangers. So yeah. yeah. And then the photo on the far left was like probably the sickest 65 ever. Um, that was for a dirt bike magazine photo shoot. And they did a big feature on my bike. And dude, the thing was like, I wish I still had that bike. That bike was sick. Didn't they do, or maybe it was, it might've been a KTM. I want to say it was a Cowie though. Cause I remember I was a Cowie kid and this was like, like right in around that time um, where like, I think they did like, they had your bike on the cover of either motocross action or dirt bike. And that was super, super cool. It was like, it was like the, the, the title of it was like the sickest mini ever or something along those lines. I can't remember if it was a 65 or a. Dude, I did it. So I rode for champion cycles the year before the photo in the middle which I guess would have been same whatever, but um, yeah, I did have a pretty sick KTM 65 two the year before. I always had sick bikes, and they were so fast. I always had fast bikes. Yeah, those things, those things look sweet. Did you ever end up having uh, like right side or I guess inverted uh, forks on a 65? I know those those came out for a little while. Like these are these are all conventionals. I don't remember. 
Fair enough. Getting the race tech in there. Thanks for race tech. You can, you can save by mentioning big MX radio with race tech. Um, like how much testing did you get, did you get to do as a kid? Uh, like, and was it like pre-production pr- pr- like stuff like that? Or was it just like uh, magazine tests? Just magazine tests. I did a lot of magazine tests. I did a lot of endurance testing for Cowie for a while. Um, on 65s and we even did like some ATV stuff and all that, but, uh, you did ATV stuff. Oh, I wish I had yeah. found some photos of that. Yeah, This is a good one. I wish I had a photo of it, but it was Baggett, me and the Tedders. And we had to run, it was like a KX80 ATV and it was at Elsinore on the backtrack. And we had to run this thing for eight hours a day for four days. And it was so much fun. It was so rad. Because, like, Elsinore was the track that you'd water where you can literally just do donuts and keep going in mm-hmm. the same direction. And it was actually super fun. <laughs> well, your amateur career, dude, you, you your entire amateur career lived through maybe the most well-funded, like, there was, there was great bikes, there was great times, there was great sponsorships, all the way until, like, the bubble burst in 2009, and then you turned pro. It did it so it burst in 2009 and that's actually what prompted me to go to europe so i won the resin 09 and 250b mod i think it was no 250b stock and i couldn't get free bikes we bought our bikes that year couldn't get free bikes the next year and i got a call to go to europe because of a race in elsewhere where jackie Bimon saw us racing with uh nico Abbott and gregory aranda and yeah funny when I moved over there, Dylan Ferrandis was on the EMX 250 team. Actually, no, he was on 80 still. And we hung out and played video games all the time. And yeah, dude, it, yeah, it, it's hard to go back and think about like each chapter and what led to what and who's still around now and who's not. And it's it's wild. It's super wild. Michael Lieb and Dylan Ferrandis is playing uh, like Reflex until until the sun comes up. I love it. Dude, he was obsessed with it. That was funny. That was a good time. That's funny. All right. What do we have next here? Uh, those 60, I could go from for days. They're like, oh, dude, this. I absolutely love it. The extreme gear. Um, this is day one. You've been hooked from the very beginning. This is really cool. I think this is where this is our, our the last picture on here. But uh, tell us what's going on here. I assume you are the little one. Yeah. So, Pops. Uh... Pops is actually, I forget what role he played with Extreme, but he was a part of it for a while, um, which is funny. Hindsight now, I actually had someone ask for an Extreme remake a couple years back, and we like remade it. It was funny. I sent it to my dad. But um, but yeah, I, I guess I just always loved dirt bikes. I remember we were racing BMX. I was playing baseball. I was playing soccer. Um, I think we was even like doing some golf stuff. And my mom and dad looked at me when I was like, seven and they were like what do you want to do and i was like i want to race dirt bikes so we raced dirt bikes i always loved it i was always playing in the dirt i love toy dirt bikes i was like the full dirt bike kid it was before ipads and all that stuff were really around but um yeah man we we did have a sick era that we grew up in we had a really cool yeah we did it it stuck that for me it kind of got crappy right as I was getting ready to transition into, into pro stuff. Cause like the year before that people were getting signed for $250,000 three year pro contracts out of the B mm-hmm. class that I wanted nine a year or two before. Um, but I don't know, man. And in the end it's been a hell of a journey and 
it's all led me to where I am here now. And there's so many scenarios that happen every month where it's like, I had, just to kind of cap it off, like I had a lot of our employees are Latino and they're from Mexico. And the other day, like I had like four Latino women kind of like yelling at each other in Spanish. And I'm sitting there thinking like, dude, how did I end up here? Like, how am I here right now? Like what got me here, you know? And, um, it's cool, man. I'm, I'm super thankful for the path that I've gone down, where I've come from, where I'm going, what I'm doing, what we're creating in the industry. And I think that my best years are right in front of us. And, um, wasn't the path that I initially planned to set out for it, but, uh, you never know, man, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff that, uh, that you don't know. Absolutely, man. Well, I was glad to hear that you're, you're grateful for it. And, uh, yeah, I think that's important. And, uh, us as dirt bike kids, whether regardless of what era you got to grow up in, um, I always say that the pegs of a dirt bike are sharp because this sport digs its teeth into you and it doesn't let go. Even if you happen to smash your foot into a million pieces and it turns out to be one big piece or, um, or you end up being a nighttime uh, AMA champion, like your brother-in-law, like it, it's just one of those things where it just keeps pulling you back. Um, you get the throttle therapy and you just continue to, to, to want to enjoy it. Like no matter how, which way it, it throws you. Um, hell, even like there's like as, as illustrious a career as, as Ryan had, uh, there's probably a couple of championships he left on the on the table and the fact that like the 2008 out of uh, the, I guess the is it 08 uh, East title uh, with Canard and then a couple of outdoor championships. Um, yeah, like the the sport is is awesome and cruel at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, our our family is obviously well rooted in this in this sport through, you know, obviously my racing career, but my mom's school with on track and what she's doing right. for a motocross community, graduating the Deegans and the canards and all the people that she's graduated has been, has been cool. And I think that with canvas and with lucid, I can also bring another extension of something refreshing and, and cool and into our industry and make it better for the people, you know, that are coming up for the next generation. Um, you know, it, it's cool. It's cool to be on the side of it. It's cool to be where we are as a family and be planted in it and, uh, it's definitely been a love hate relationship with moto, but in the end, I think we'll always come back. So. Well, amen to that. Michael Lieb here on the verb moto broadcast. Uh, thank you so much for making some time for us. Thank you for being the first uh, official um, participant uh, with the, uh, the, the moto albums going through some photos, rekindling some old memories. Hopefully that was a, a fun experience for you, except for the blue Buffalo thing um but uh yeah man it was a lot of fun appreciate the time no that was cool that was cool i definitely got the got the memory going back that's uh it's awesome man we all get caught up in our lives and sometimes we uh don't look about you know that stuff so that was cool i enjoyed that cool man well yeah don't hang up just yet we'll we'll stop recording for now but uh appreciate the time and all the best luck uh with canvas lucid and everything else that you're doing thank you guys Right on, you guys. There you have it. Our interview with none other than Michael Lieb. Thank him so much for making some time for us. Now, as always, with all of my podcasts, I'd like to break things out with a little bit of music to shut things down. And you know what? Loretta Lynn's is 
off in the not so distant future. I'm really looking forward to being my first time ever going to the ranch. Uh, and like Michael said, it'll be the first time he goes since 2009. So without further ado, here's Zach Heron without at the ranch. From kids up to grown men Walk through the gates of the coal miner's daughter To make a point clearer than the creek water now Who's the best, who's it gonna be In Hurricane Mills, Tennessee Can you feel the adrenaline Dirt flies hypnotized by the whisper Hear the crowd, everybody's whistling Line on the field If you can put it all together three times This one week of racing could This one week of racing could change your life Everybody knows this is where it is 